do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film Bonnie and Clyde from 1967 with my wonderful guests, Lauren Lopez and Joey Richter. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and this week I have two wonderful guests, Lauren Lopez and Joey Richter. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank oh you gosh. so much for having us. Yes, this is going to be so fun. So we watched the movie Bonnie and Clyde from 1967. I have not watched this movie in a long time, and I chose it, one, because I feel like when I do this show, I tend to do like earlier films. We don't really do a lot of like 60s, 70s kinds of films. Oh. And we haven't really talked about Faye Dunaway or Warren Beatty yet. So I was like, oh, this will be a great opportunity. Um, that being like, I'm so glad we watched it. Uh, <laughs> but it's not it's not the way that I remember it. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. 100%. So wait, what did you guys think? What's your experience? I've never seen this movie. There are so many classic movies that I totally missed. This is my first time watching it. Uh I must say I didn't enjoy it. That's okay. I understand. I understand. Joey, how did you feel? Yeah, I don't think I've seen this since college, since probably a film course, at which point I was probably way more likely to enjoy anything or like anything that a professor told me is a classic film and change cinema. <laughs> and so I went, I would probably went, yes, what a good movie. But then upon rewatching it, you're like, this is a very odd movie on a number of different, fr- like on every level. Yeah. Uh, but it was quite an experience. <laughs> yes. Well, and thank you both for watching it. And I think it's oh funny. God, the course. other reason I chose this for you guys, normally I try to like pair movies with people where I'm like, oh, I think they'll really enjoy this. But I think my legitimate <laughs> thinking was like, wait, this is a movie about a couple and I'm going to have <laughs> a couple on my show. It's Whoa. about a couple who robs banks and these two are criminally uh, in love. Adorable. To be fair. Yeah, we are exactly That like was my them. thought process. Yeah, I constantly go to Lauren and go, I don't like that with your hair. Change that. Uh, <laughs> Which is not a red flag at all. Not a red flag, but also a very weird thing to do right out of the gate in this movie. 
Oh my God. Well, I wrote, I noted that moment. I was like, ooh, establishing dominance, gross. Yeah. <laughs> so it's right after they meet and she thinks they're going to have this great sexual relationship. And then he's like, sorry, I'm not a lover boy. That's not my thing. And so it's like his way of asserting dominance over her because he's not going to be her lover. He has to like establish himself as the oh leader. And I think he does that by telling her how to look. And I wrote down like, one, you're wrong. It's adorable. Two, red flag. Like, that is not a good relationship this dynamic. This is a toxic movie. Yeah, huge red flag. But anyway, so I'll get into the plot synopsis for the people at home because <laughs> there are people who don't like want to watch the movie. They just want to hear people talk about it. So I will okay, break okay, it all okay, down okay. for you. Love it. Um, so Bonnie and Clyde, picture it. It's 1967 now, but we're making a movie about the 20s. So we're going to make it look like it's the 1960s, but also the 1920s. Okay. So, or no, I guess it's the 30s. It's the early 1930s. The 30s, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Bonnie and Clyde, in real life, very famous bank robbers slash store robbers. They robbed more stores than banks, apparently. So that's a thing. Hmm. But in this movie, we meet Bonnie Parker. And she is not happy with her life, and she is also gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And she happens to meet Warren Beatty, who is Clyde Barrow, who is also incredibly good-looking. And so Mm -hmm. the two good-looking people meet while Warren Beatty is trying to steal her mother's car. And she says, don't steal that car. And he's like, okay, let's walk and talk. And so it turns out that they both are of a similar mind about things. He has just gotten out of prison for armed robbery. She's pretty cool with that. And uh, she's like, so, you know, how does it feel, Robin? Or how does it, what does she say? I don't remember. She has a famous quote, but it's about robbery. And so she's into the whole (laughs) robbery aspect of everything. And Warren Beatty's like, oh, my God, I think I finally found my partner in crime. With her good looks and my good looks and our special (laughs) talents combined, we'll be the best bank robbers around. So they become bank robbers and they're not good at it right away and i love that and um they get together with this guy cw moss who's not the brightest but he's good with cars Mm -hmm. and they become like a team and eventually uh oh and clyde is also um impotent he he can't have sex with bonnie and bonnie very much wants a sexual relationship Mm. with him because he's very attractive um so uh they they rob banks it's a whole lot of fun uh clyde barrow's brother comes on board and his name is buck and he brings his wife who is just like a prissy obnoxious woman who does not fit in with everybody else and you know that things go awry because you know that in real life bonnie and clyde were murdered by a ton of machine guns and that's what happens in this film they want too much they're on the lamb and they get caught and they get murdered in a spectacular fashion. It was a huge deal at the time. It was like the most graphic death that had ever been on film. Um, and something that the film does really well in general is it's one of the first films to kind of play with tone. So it has this like kind of comedic tone, but then it turns on a dime to get really violent. And so I think like that's the plot synopsis of the movie. And I think the reason people view this so much as a classic is because it's one of the first films to do something that we have in our regular like film knowledge now. Like every film we see now goes all the way with like sex and violence. And we have a whole different scope of what those things mean. So this film was kind of the first film to to do those things early on. And I think that's probably why it's a classic. That makes so much sense. And as we were watching it, because like I, 
I didn't know much. I knew about like the real Bonnie and Clyde and, but I didn't know much about the movie. And I also didn't know why it was a classic. I was like, I truly just missed everything about this movie. And so that makes so much sense. Cause while we were watching it, I was like, wait, is, is this a comedy? Like, especially all the stuff with the, with the Gene Wilder and his wife. That was like, funny. It was so funny. And I was like, wait a minute, what, what kind of movie is this? So that makes so much sense that it was kind of revolutionary in that way. I mean, and timeline wise, like it's the beginning of that new Hollywood uh, Coppola and Scorsese and early stuff in like the 70s that kind of changed everything with like Easy Rider. And it feels this movie feels very distinctly like almost like a French movie but about like American gratuitous like violence. Yeah, I also was shocked at how violent it was. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people getting shot in the face. Oh my God. Which again, looks a little bit silly yeah, now. Yeah, it does. Because <laughs> it, it does. doesn't look very real. But for the time we would have been like, oh my God, they got shot right? in the face. And it's right. one of the first use of like squibs on film. For people at home, they're like packets of like the blood packets that explode on their own. So this is one of the earliest uses of them on film. But Joey, the French wave thing, it's really funny that you said that because Warren Beatty produced this film and it was kind of his first big like I'm producing a film on my own he's 29 mm. years old by the oh way my God. just like I'm gonna <laughs> produce this and I'm gonna star in it and I'm great but uh he really wanted um a French director and he kept trying to mm. get one and they didn't want to work on it um wow. so eventually what he decided was like screw it we're just gonna get an American director and do like certain things in French style like with how we edit and how we cut things and has French New Wave influence, um, especially seen in the choppy ending with the birds and yes. the numerous flashes of Bonnie and Clyde's faces. Oh my God. Um, so I think that's so fascinating that you that you picked up on it. I, I'm sure that's like seated in there from like being in a screen arts and cultures class and <laughs> being like, oh, okay. Just bubbles up. You're like, ah, French influence. I feel it. I feel yeah. it. <laughs> you touched on the fact that this, this came out in 1967, which is like, so... In movie cinema history, like 1939 is considered the golden year of films. That's when like all of these incredible films came out. 1967 is like the second golden year of films. Wow. That's when everything mm. changed. That's like when we get, this is the same year as Cool Hand Luke, In the oh, Heat of the okay. Night, The oh. Graduate. So it's like, and it's also one of the first years of ratings. So the code is just like ending, the production code that they oh. had in Hollywood all those years where certain like movies had to follow certain rules. They had just established a rating system. So the MPAA so, started like during now, during yeah. this movie? In it's like the year? 68. Wow. It's like right in this sweet spot, you know? Wow. So it's like, this is all happening. And so these movies are the first of their kind. They're all kind of revolutionary in the way we tell stories and they all affect how we tell stories today. But now it feels a little dated. But at the time, this would have been like those four movies are huge, you know? Now I feel bad about saying yeah, that. Now, like <laughs> yeah, now I feel really bad. Because I remember like at 16 watching this and being like, holy shit, this movie's cool. And then like being so excited to share it and then sitting down and watching <laughs> it and going like, oh, okay, it's like... It's good for its time, but does it really like stand the test of time? It's just know. like, it's all over the place. Like I just felt like the whole time I was like, wait a minute, what, what are they doing now? It was just like, I don't know how to explain it. I, it was just, yeah, all over the place for me. But I do now hearing all that, I do now looking back on it, have like a respect for it, definitely. But yeah, not, not my kind of 
film. But can I say one thing that's really funny? Please. Bring okay. that, yes. So it better be really It's really going to be funny. so funny, you guys. You're not even going to believe how funny this is. So Estelle Parsons, who I, by the way, love, had no idea she was in this movie. And when I saw her name come up on the credits, I was like, oh my God, Estelle Parsons is in this? Because I was a huge Roseanne fan. And I also saw her in August Osage County. And it's truly one of the best performances I've ever seen anyone give. But she plays Blanche in this movie. And I was reading about the real Bonnie and Clyde and they were talking about making the movie. And apparently Warren Beatty went to the real Blanche to get her permission to use her name in the movie. And she, she gave her permission. And then she apparently hated the movie because she said that Estelle Parsons played her like a screaming horse's ass. And she won an Oscar for it. She won an Oscar for this, which I'm a little bit surprised by just because it feels like such a small role. And to be fair, like all she does is scream. Like like a horse's ass. (laughs) Blanche was not wrong. Well, and I wonder what the real dynamic is. So I got to be honest, I know almost nothing about the real Bonnie and Clyde. Like, all I know is what I was looking up before this show and like the comparisons of the movie to the real life people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that would suck if you're a total badass and you're part of like a really, I don't know, infamous gang to be portrayed in a way where you look like just the worst. Like no one wants to be around her. No one likes her. Her last scene, we were we were around it because it was so funny of like her with that cover up on her head and just talking and going, oh, and then she was like crying. And then the cop, the sheriff just closes the door on her and the scene cuts her off in the middle of, they were like, wow, she really just gets cut off in the middle of her weeping monologue. She's like in so much pain. Yeah. Although it does bother me just like on a personal, like technical note of like, she only got hit in one eye below the eye. That's right. where the gun looked like it hit. But then at the end, it's like yes. so dramatic and both eyes are covered and she's in the white like headdress in an all white room with her white gown and I'm like oh no like this is over the top yes I thought the same thing and I was like questioning myself because I was like oh maybe she did get shot in both eyes and I just totally missed that (laughs) I was like yeah I thought she got shot in like the cheek yeah it looked like she got but I guess also the time how would they have shown us that she got shot in the eye they couldn't have but that was my own like wait a minute (laughs) I saw what happened well it's like it really is a testament to how every shot that they use of someone getting killed and using those like exploding squibs (laughs) how like quick they are because you barely can register what's happening like even when buck gets shot it's like oh and i'm like did he just get shot like in the ear and then died like i couldn't tell when he where he got shot and then her too it was just like oh and then it like cut away it's just it's all very quick and also they all die in kind of just dumb ways too like Buck with the mattress sticking his head out and you're like, put your head away. What do you think is going to happen? There's right. guns all around you. A lot of dumbassery. Every time like CW and Blanche were there, I was like, oh no, uh, something's going to happen that's bad. They're uh-huh. dumb. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yeah. yeah. CW literally, he fucks up all the time. He literally, like the first scene he goes, <gasps> oh, I'm going to parallel park. And yeah, he goes, oh my God. Worst idea anyone's ever had in a bank robbery. Yep. I think that might've been one of the first moments in the movie where I was like, am, am I supposed to be laughing at this? Cause this is like comedic watching him try to get out of this parallel parking spot, but also like 
the stakes were so high and it seemed so dramatic. So I was like, wait a minute. But I, but you know what? Now it's revolutionary to me. I love it. Thinking about it, I mean, this movie was kind of a foil of like the crime movies of the 30s, like those gangster movies mm-hmm. of the 30s mm-hmm. that are very serious and like, no one's going to get me, ma. Like that kind <laughs> of very James Cagney seriousness. So mm-hmm. yeah, to have moments like that that give it so much levity, it's it just shows us like, you know, it's a juxtaposition of what yeah. had been. But now everything's done in this tone. So we're judging it based on like today's standards of like, we know this tone. We know what this means and what this is. So like the Bonnie and Clyde stuff, she really did write those poems. Yes, I read about that too. So I was like, that's great. It's very cool. That's very cool. And they were saying it's like part of this idea of, there were like, what were they called? Social outlaws. There was this idea of the social outlaw in kind of like the 30s during this time when there's a depression and it was this Robin Hood idea of like, yes. the you know, the rich are stealing from us. We're poor. We have nothing. So people were rooting for people like Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. And so if you think about it, like Robin Hood had all those ballads back in the day. Like it was like the ballad of Robin Hood. It's the fact that like Bonnie was writing her own damn ballads. So it's like this kind of connecting idea of like her writing her own story, being the social outlaw, having her own ballad. So there's that. And I thought that was really cool. And then I guess in real life, those pictures that they took, a lot of that stuff was real. So the picture that they have when she poses with the cigar and the gun, that was her, like, in real life kind of putting on an act. She didn't really smoke cigars. But, like, the press painted her as, like, she's a gun mall. This is her. And so, yeah, her, like, writing her own poem, writing her own story in the end also. I love that of, like, no, you're getting it wrong about me, press. This is what I think about me. That scene where they're in the bank and the, there's, like, the old guy there and they're they're robbing it. And they're, like, is that your money? And he's, like, it's or is that your money or the bank's money? And he's, like, it's mine. And they're, like, okay, you can keep that. But the bank give me all your money. I was, like, that's great. And then they have that quick montage where they're getting chased after and they're interviewing everyone. And the guy's like, I like them. Yeah. He's like, these guys, these guys are great. But there could have been a few more moments because you you kind of forget about that for most of the movie until the scene after they both get shot and they end up in that like encampment of the people that are like hit by the depression. And they're all like giving them, giving them gruel and water and shirts and you're like oh yeah i forgot that they're like heroes and there's those cute two kids that were like are they dead they're like what happened to them we, it was it was funny is that bonnie parker yeah <laughs> i was like oh i'm glad they said her name instead of his that made me happy. yes yeah she's, she's a real star. icon yeah yes. those poems really are so cool and that she really wrote them that that is like a legit thing and also i guess the frank ha- hammer hammer thing none of that was real the texas ranger that they take the picture with oh that wasn't real so that did not happen in real life but frank hammer was one of the people that tracked them down and they actually made a movie about it with kevin costner like two years ago on netflix i didn't oh. know about it till now but i guess in real life he was just like a retired Texas Ranger that they talked out of retirement to help find Bonnie and Clyde. But they like oh. amped it up in this and like made him a character out for revenge kind of against them because they had humiliated him. And that deals in with like the rest of this too of like the cop is getting back at them for humiliating him. It's like this idea of when they say to him, like, why aren't you helping your own people in Texas? Why are you out here chasing us when you could be like helping people that need you? And the whole reason that they start robbing banks in the first place, it was like the impetus of seeing the poor man who was like a good man 
Uh-huh. Who, by the way, like, hey, he's integrated. Just side note, like his partner was black, and I was like, okay, so oh. not a lot of black people in this film, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely that's not. Nice equal yeah. working partners, integrated. Okay, sure. you both lost this farm. Okay, um, that's something. So it was like a little tiny piece of something. Um, but like the whole impetus for robbing banks in the film was, oh, the bank stole your home. That's messed up. Mm-hmm. We should yeah. start attacking the banks. Yeah. So they really try to put them on the people's side. So I guess us as viewers feel comfortable watching them. This could have been a totally different piece if we're just watching two murderers like on the rise, but they connect them with the people. And I think that's brilliant. Totally. Yeah, they're like, destroy your home. Here, take this gun and yeah. destroy your home. In the most, we, like... We were laughing about that scene. Because we're like, these guys, whoever... I don't know if it's the direction or just the actors. Everyone is shooting their this gun in the most lackadaisical way. Yeah. They're, just like, <laughs> they're like barely holding onto the gun and just like, burp, burp, like just shooting it into the house. I was like, man, this is not impassioned, but uh, they are doing it. Oh, the and everybody can shoot right away. Everyone's so good. When he's like, Bonnie, go learn how to shoot. And it's like, first shot, bad. Second shot, perfect. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, we got to clip along because there's a lot that happens and there's a lot of people we meet in this yes. movie. And also, as a side note, real life Bonnie and Clyde, I guess, murdered nine policemen and four civilians. And yeah. I know that's this is going to sound really, what's the word, like uncaring, but it, I thought there would be more that seems like mm-hmm. a lower number than sure. I would have anticipated for like, you know, the infamy that they have. The amount mm-hmm. of infamy, you kind of think of them as being like, I'm sure they've killed so many people. But in the end, it was nine plus four, 13. Mm-hmm. I had to do that live math. And at least the movie portrays a lot of them as almost like, not accidents, but like that first guy they kill, it's just kind of like he's on the car and he's like, ooh, and he shoots. And then the guy he shoots the guy in the face, which was intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, a lot of it is just in crazy shootouts. Again, this is just a movie. I don't know if, how much of this movie is fact. It's also a very like physical movie. Like the characters are are really like roughhousing with each other and in or like the actors are at least doing it like when his brother first shows up they're like wrestling in a way that i'm like this yes. feels very like actually dangerous and like actually like someone would get hurt then when uh cw's dad like throws the food at him i was like man this feels very indicative of like that new hollywood 60s like we're doing things different like people are actually going to hit each other and people are actually going to fight and it does feel kind of like raw and very very, aggressive very aggressive and like kinetic the energy like being moving around which is exciting and i imagine at the time was a huge deal to watch that. I'm noticing it now too, with not just like physical violence wise, but physical, the emotion between Bonnie and Clyde, because they don't really have a sexual relationship, right? It's all Mm -mm. about like the building of that. And it's like the way they would hold each other in different scenes, like the one scene where she wants to go back and see, was it? No, it was after she saw her mom and she's like, I don't have a family. And he's like, I'm your family. Like her legs were exposed for a minute and she covers them and she like makes herself almost look like she's in a room while he's holding her. And I was like, oh, what a great, like physical, beautiful moment. It's not about sex. It's like these two people who deeply care about each other. And we're seeing that through this like very physical gesture that simulates almost just like, like, like a womb, like family, like he is her family. I like, I really liked that. She like wraps her robe around her legs. Like it's like, 
I don't know, like in utero, <laughs> like she's like in a chaotic like, sack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she turns her dress into a sack. Um, and then the part in the cornfield too, when he's chasing after her and she's like, I just want to see my mom. I want to get away and see my mom for a minute. And the way that they like hold each other, the, the fierceness of like his grasp on her. I'm not going to lie. When they had that part where they were with her family, I literally for the first like one to two minutes of that part thought it was a dream ballet. Because there was like a filter on the yeah. camera or something. And I was like, and everyone's wearing black all of a sudden. And I was like, is this some weird like Oklahoma Funeral? dream ballet? Yes. I was like, what is this? But then I realized it was real. And I also really liked how her mom went. What did she say? You took talking. a video of it. <laughs> they were talking to her and she was like, I don't know. You figure it out. I'm just an old lady. I don't know nothing. That woman it. is great. I didn't write down the actress's name, but she felt so real. Where she, he's like, I surely don't. I yeah. don't think. Whatever she said, it was something like that. Yes, you're right. It feels like a dream almost. And it, you're, yes. you're kind of like, are they at the mother's funeral for a minute? But right. she's there. And then I was noticing this time costume-wise, there's like a lot of emphasis on black and white costumes. And I noticed in the last scene, like... Bonnie's wearing, or, well, in the scene where they all get attacked, they're all wearing white right. except for yes. CW. And then I yes. feel like in the last scene, I can't remember if she's wearing white or not, but I remembered that the man that shot them was wearing black. And I was just like, I know this means something. I know this is important. I don't totally get it because they were all wearing black in that filtery, dreamy scene. I wonder if they were all in black as like a foreshadowing to be like, this is the last time they're all going to see each other before Bonnie and Clyde get absolutely pumped full of bullets you know what i mean yeah there is a lot of foreshadowing like when they're in the car with eugene and he's like i'm an undertaker and she's like get him out yeah get him out now wait guys the g that gene wilder stuff is so good he is so funny when they're in the car and they're running they're being followed by bonnie and clyde and he's like step on it velma velma step on it step on it velma it's so, so funny. His whole attitude when he's like, I'm gonna kill them. I'm yeah. gonna get gonna my hands on them apart. and tear them up. And you're just, it's <laughs> the silliest way of saying it. And then when she's like, well, they could have guns. And he's like, you know what? A pun for the review, the police would be an excellent choice. His comedic timing is so like wry and great. He is so brilliant. But again, like that, that comedy tragedy thing where it's like the stakes are so high, they have to get away from these murderous people. And then they end up kidnapping Jean and Velma and everyone's just like having a great time. Yeah. It's like so quickly, they're all just like friends and they're laughing, they're eating burgers. And that's when Bonnie says the thing that I feel like is the, if there was like a t-shirt quote of the movie, she's like, you're folks just like us. And I'm like, oh yes, that is what this movie is doing. It like does this thing where it glamorizes Bonnie and Clyde, but it also humanizes them. Like we're folks just like you. So I was like, ooh, that's a good way to do that. And then just the comfort that they feel with, like there's guns on them and they're like, oh, my burger isn't done right. Can we fix something about this? The level of comfortability that they have, but then it can switch on a dime. Again, this like really exciting situation of them like being kidnapped and then like the guns, but then at the same time being like, oh, I ordered a well done burger. Does anyone else have it? You know, like just the so mundane in the face of all this other stuff. It's also, crazy. who wants a well done burger? Can we really? Oh man. That's the yeah. worst way to eat a burger. Yeah, I think that says a lot about his character. <laughs> I think so too. And the fact that he had attitude about his girlfriend being 33 because she had clearly lied to him when he was like, 
I know. What was up with that? I, that was like very, we just glazed over it in the movie and you're like, what is the problem here? Yeah. Like, <laughs> How what? old did she say she was? Yeah, no, well, and why was it a problem? You're right. Why is it a problem? You're old, clearly, uh-huh. Eugene. Also, this was his first film role. And he got it because Warren Beatty saw him in a play and liked him. Oh, that great. Mm. Oh, my God. He discovered one of the icons of all time. Wow. Wait, he saw him in a play and liked him. And that's how he ended up in the movie. Yeah. That's how a lot of people got cast in this because Warren Beatty was like, worked with him, liked him, know him forever, liked him. That's how C.W. Moss was cast. That's how Gene Hackman was cast. Yeah, Gene Hackman. That was such a delight, too. I truly was so ignorant about this movie. I didn't even know. I didn't know anyone aside from uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway were in it. It was, you know what? It was great. Uh... (laughs) It was great. And like, I felt like I owed it to Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway to watch this movie because they gave me the biggest gift of my life, which was when they mistakenly announced La La Land for the Oscar and then it was actually Moonlight. That's the best moment I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> which I feel like they, they get flack for, but if I was in the same situation, I might have done what they did as well. Oh, 100%. You know, it's a high stress situation. Yes. For people at home who maybe don't know, I'll break this down for you. At the Oscars a couple years ago, if you don't remember, Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty were given, it must have been, it would have been like Bonnie and Clyde's anniversary. So mm. when it was, whenever it, well, I think that's why, I think yeah. that's yes. why they brought them together. That makes sense. So they come on on stage, they're about to announce the best picture winner. They open the envelope, Warren Beatty pauses for a while. Faye Dunaway thinks he's like jerking around because she's like, <laughs> I know Warren Beatty. He's kind of a jokester. So she looks at the card, sees like La La, Emma Stone, La La Land, and says La La Land won. La La Land did not win, as we know. Moonlight did, as it should, because Moonlight was absolutely fantastic. But what a moment. Oh <laughs> the my best moment. God. So yes, they gave us that moment. Yeah. And I feel like she got kind of blamed for that shit too. And I was like, no, no, no. Like you can't blame them. I don't think I you mean, can blame them. I mean, it's, yeah, someone fucked up big time backstage. Yeah. It's definitely not their fault, but, you know, one can hope that it brings everyone back to Bonnie and Clyde. That everyone, <laughs> goes, that everyone goes, wait, all the, all those, uh, you know, Gen Zers are like, wait, what are they famous for? And then they go back and watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it reignited interest in Bonnie and Clyde. I think it I think it could have and I think it should. Although, can I tell you something that still pisses me off? I think the reason I got so defensive or I get defensive of Faye Dunaway is because she has a terrible reputation of being quote unquote difficult. She and does I get so pissed off. Yes. She is difficult to work with because she fucking has opinions. So it, oh it bothers God. me so deeply that people like like Warren Beatty, who who are seen as confident, right? Like when he's like, mm-hmm. I have opinions about this. And they're like, do you want to produce? And he's like, I do. But if like a woman does it, they're like, oh my God, she's so oh, difficult. Mm-hmm. No. Classic. Betty Davis didn't love working with her, but Betty Davis also has a reputation for quote unquote being difficult. Like, you know, two women with opinions, ugh, they're right? difficult. Right. But uh, yeah, that really bothers me because she got into fights with Roman Polanski on the set of Chinatown. And apparently they had like deep respect for each other. Um, and he said, like, she's a fantastic actress. 
Roman Polanski. He's the worst. He's the worst, worst, and we can't uh, take anything he says uh, seriously. That affected her reputation, not his, right? When he does it, they're like, he's a genius. When she's like, hi, I I think my character should do this, or I think we should try it this way. It's like, oh, my God, can you believe her? So that... I hate that. I hate that that happens. And I wanted to like justice for Faye out yeah. there. Because like, you're very talented. And yeah. like, I've never been on a set with you. Maybe you're not like, you know, Mary Poppins on a freaking set, but I don't need you to be. Like, I feel like yeah. you, she's probably perfectly like normal, but she's just a woman doing things that typically right. a male star would do. Right. Man, that is classic. I didn't realize she had that that reputation that's so annoying there's a story about her on set i hope i'm getting it right but i think i read it right where like roman polanski was so pissed at her one day that he like took a piece of her hair and ripped it out and was like it's too shiny wow what the fuck i hope there was nothing like that on this movie i hope everyone had a good time i hope everyone had a fun time making this movie and and as they were making it everyone was just going we loved the music yes it was great but the music was another thing that emphasized that like huge tonal shift like the scene when they're escaping after buck dies it's like they're playing this music that's like, and I was like, this feels inappropriate for the moment. What is so interesting about the score too, like thank you for bringing it up, is first of all, it's written by Charles Strauss, who wrote Annie. I saw that oh, and went no like, way. what the fuck? Yes, he writes Annie and like oh. applause and like all these Broadway musicals. So Charles Strauss wrote this and I think it's fascinating that like Annie's a depression era musical. So they're like, well, I guess this is our depression this era. Is your, this is our depression era guy. Yeah. <laughs> Here he is. Um, so I just thought that was so interesting because I had never noticed that when I was younger. And then um, the movie doesn't start off with score. It starts off silent. Like they really yes. use silence a lot in this film, which is like, again, a newer thing of that time because we had gone from like them, like people in the 30s not knowing how to use film score. And then like Max Steiner being like, this is a score. And then just, yeah, overscoring everything to the point where like in the 60s, it starts to die down again. So yeah, this music provides a tonal shift. It gives us like Guthrie vibes and it gives us like down home hillbilly vibes. Yeah, like Americana. Yeah. Excess. Americana, that's the word. Nostalgia Americana. of the people. Yeah. And I think the moments we talked about earlier with like that weird filter scene where she sees her mother again, the movie starts with like images of the past. Right. Those are them, right? Those are like real photos, I, I have think. No, they, they have to be, right? They have I have to no be. idea. Yeah, yeah, I think they were. They cuz they didn't real. look like they didn't look like the actors. I don't they think. didn't, but also I looked and I was like they look like them. I that picture of of Clyde Barrow, I was like this looks like Warren Beatty. So I think that was job. Warren Beatty in the beginning. I oh, think that no. was Warren Beatty because okay. I was looking at the real Bonnie and Clyde pictures and they were both very attractive, but it, okay. they don't look like Warren Beatty they and don't Faye Dunaway. Like them. Okay. But I think that really was Faye, uh, Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty, but I think the other photos were real photos of the time, but I don't know if they were real photos of like Bonnie and Clyde. Got but they get it. us into that like frame of mind and that nostalgia, but I, I don't know for a fact. And then also you reminded me, I like took a picture of this quote that I saw from Faye Dunaway about making this movie, because I think she really did love making this film. Her quote about it is, uh, that movie touched the core of my being. Never have I felt so close to a character as I felt to Bonnie. She was a yearning, edgy, ambitious Southern girl who wanted to get out of wherever she was. I knew everything about wanting to get out and the getting out doesn't come easy. But with Bonnie, there was a real tragic irony. She got out only to see that she was heading nowhere and that the end was death. 
Oh. And I was like, ooh, great quote, Faye Dunaway. Oh, my God. I loved that. Because Faye Dunaway's smart, too. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I call bullshit on her being difficult. Yeah. Even if she, like, quote, unquote, <laughs> is difficult, I don't think it's actually difficult. Do right, you know what I mean? Right. Like, no. I think 100%. it's just, like, normal. Someone human. just voicing their actual opinion. and Yeah, uh, having thoughts. And having st- thoughts and boundaries and standards. Yeah. But you're like, yeah. How difficult. Yeah, yeah how incredibly difficult. So we mentioned Beatty produced it. So Warren Beatty, his older sister is Shirley MacLaine. Right. And that's how he gets into the business. He was like, of course, like a gorgeous babe football star Ugh. and um, was like, you know what? I think there might be more to me. And his sister's like, dude, I'm an actor. Look at this. You could do this too. <laughs> it's awesome. Awesome. It's so easy. Anyone <laughs> can do it. Anyone can do it. <laughs> Just show up. So she kind of gets him into the idea of acting. He works as a stagehand at the National Theater in D.C. Um, and he was offered football scholarships, but is like, you know what? Nah, I'm going to go to Northwestern, get my degree there, and then I'm going to go study in New York City with Stella Adler. And he does. And he, like, goes and makes movies. His first, like, big movie is called Splendor in the Grass, and it's an Elia Kazan film. Oh. 1961, Natalie Wood. Um, yep. So because of that film... I mean, he becomes a huge star and he makes some other films as well, but he is starting to realize like, okay, I want to be a producer. So he eventually decides to make this film. And when he's first like getting it off the ground, he wants to cast his sister as Bonnie and he won't be in it. Like Shirley MacLaine would be Bonnie. And then eventually he's like, no, 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 this will work better if I'm Clyde. And obviously my sister and I can't have a yeah, <laughs> <working> <laughs> relationship. So the, the girl that he really wanted as Bonnie after that was Natalie Wood. He wanted her to be Bonnie because he loved working with her. But she was like, hi, first of all, I'm like in therapy because I'm not okay right now. So like I need to concentrate on my therapy. But also I thought working with you was actually kind of difficult. Like, thanks for liking to work with me, but I'm not super into working with you. (laughs) No, that's fascinating. Holy crap. But honestly, good for her for practicing self-care in that moment. Good for her. The reason she didn't love working with him was for the same reasons people say they don't always difficult. It's because he had a lot of opinions Mm -hmm. on set about how things should be done. Um, but when he does it, it's confident and handsome. Sure. Unbelievable. So yes, there's all of that. Uh, Clyde was originally written as a bisexual character when it was like originally conceived. And I love that. it was that. supposed to be a three-way between, they were going to have, I don't know if it was like he was C.W. Moss yet, but it was going to be like a three-way relationship between like the getaway driver, Bonnie and Clyde. Wait, is that real though? Is that I really how- I the- don't know if it's real. I only saw that that's how the script went. So I was like, what if that was real? Why did they pretty go with progressive. that? That could have been, that would have really. That would have been so much more interesting, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were worried about like the quote unquote, like sexual deviance. They were saying like, there'll be criminals and sexual deviance and no one will be on their side. And also Warren Beatty apparently didn't want, he had like a reputation of being like a ladies man and he didn't want to mess with that. So they, they made him impotent instead. Um, well, you know what? Honestly, <laughs> I, I think that's not a bad uh, alternative to be like, well, you can't have any sex. Yeah. You don't want to sleep with men and women? No sex for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's so interesting. Right? I was, I was like fascinated by this. There are like weird hints of that in the movie. Like CW is such a bizarre character. I felt like he was in love with Bonnie. Right? Is that a thing, or did I just make that up? Well, because she was—he was like she put the tattoo on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like she Bonnie likes it. But then, like that weird moment at the end that we clocked low, where 
they're leaving and he's like smiling being like when they leave and i'm like what's his fucking deal but i think he's a fanboy i think he like really was a stan for bonnie and clyde and just was like happy that they were going off and doing their thing he was really supportive but i thought it was because his dad the night before was like don't get in the car with them and so he didn't because he was hiding in the thing and they're like where is he and he was like oh no and then they got in the car and they left and he's like good they left without me like my dad said which is not threatening at all i agree with lauren on this one i think it's that he's glad they got away because i think it was like he's hanging on to preservation at that point like i love the fanboy thing because i was thinking like he's like their child but no fanboy is way better (laughs) um but yeah the idea of like i why didn't he warn them side note i guess because he was like i'll lose my get out of jail free card big fanboy why didn't he say like hey by the way sorry i cut you off no no, 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 please. Um, I'm, but being, I, I'm being difficult. <laughs> you're you're I'm so difficult. difficult. I'm being difficult. Yeah. I can't even. so difficult. You have opinions. You're speaking aloud. No, absolutely no. not. And we need to, we need to call it. it like it is. And I and it's me being difficult. Did his dad make it clear to him that they were going to be like shot? Yeah, I don't know. Because he's dumb. Yeah, so, he's very dumb. Yeah. So I felt like he just took it as being like, well, my dad said not to get in the car with them, so I'm just not going to do it. Guess I'll go to Eva's and have some more ice cream in a <laughs> container. And it was almost like a bet, too, I think. We're going to get back to the ice cream container. But I feel like it was almost like a bet with his dad of like, I think they can get away. Joey does a much better CW voice than I do. Can we like put Joey's voice into what I just did? I bet they get away, dad. Sorry, that ice cream container that was like a like a Chinese takeout box. Yeah, is that how they did? They used to give yes. ice cream and really. They did. So I know this from Meet Me in St. Louis because it happens in Meet Me in St. Louis. No she way. goes to get ice cream on Halloween and brings it back in a paper box just like that. So that's how they used to do ice cream. Wait, I kind of love that. I think they should bring that back. It's adorable. That's I would be so into nice. it. Yeah. It's not that different from the circular cardboard container. No, you can still make a pint. Those square boxes like that you get at a, like a Chinese takeout are much more aesthetically pleasing, in my opinion. Plus that cute little stamp on it. I was like, if they sold that in Silver Lake right now, oh my we God. would all be paying like $10 for it. Yeah, exactly. work on branding and ice cream. You know, let, let's, you know, maybe we should edit this out of the podcast so that um keep it for us you can yeah. use it uh and so no one can take this copyright idea. copyright nobody can steal it we thought of it first proof on this yeah. day i think <laughs> yeah wow that is funny that those are real things oh and warren Beatty wanted this film to be in black and white but all the studios were like no 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 oh. no no um and i like it that it's not in black and white actually well i think it also because there's so much violence i think it helps to see all the blood yeah, yeah. I'm not yes. like I think like at the end there when they're like <gasps> and there's like literally blood spraying everywhere and all over their clothes or when they're like escaping when Buck dies and like she's got blood all over it's like I think seeing it because there's not much like bright color in the movie it's like there's a lot of grays and browns and blacks and whites and and so when the blood is there you like really see the blood yeah. Because um, it's not a very bright movie otherwise. It's not like overdone because I feel like the 50s were all about technicolor, right? And nothing looks real. So this is like the beauty of real nature, the beauty of the sky, the beauty of the cornfields. Yeah. The way the clouds naturally, like when you were saying about earlier about like signs that things were going to go bad, this was just weather. But the clouds that go over the cornfield as when Bonnie's she's running, running them. <gasps> that is, I think, the best shot in the movie. I was like, this is actually a gorgeous shot of like, 
it just, yeah, naturally kind of like creating shadows. And that was really nice. And that one shot far away when the cars are at night and you just see the headlights when they're hiding out after bucket shot. And then it like almost crossfades to the day of the same thing. I was like, this looks nice too. So then a good mise-en-scene. Ooh, would you like to explain to my mother what that means? The (laughs) mise-en-scene, as I learned it in the Screen Arts and Cultures program at University (laughs) of Michigan, it's basically like what is in the frame of a scene. Like when you see a frame, like all the elements that make up the frame that help tell the story. So like the way the characters are positioned in the frame, like the objects that you see, the the perspective, it's like basically what is what fills the frame and how that like tells the story. And I think there's a lot of nice, ver- nice mise-en-scene in this Yeah. Movie. That was the best definition. Thank you. That was really great. Like it was, it didn't feel overproduced, which nothing against overproducing. Sometimes it's called for, but this just felt like a very, a more real, natural, like texture feeling. Well, something I mentioned when we were watching too, is like a lot of scenes, granted there are scenes where they're cutting a lot, like especially at the end when they're looking towards each other, it's like, oh, there's 15,000 shots in me in this last four seconds of the movie. (laughs) But, uh, But like, there's a lot of scenes where, moments are just playing out in wides and characters are just kind of like moving in a wide. Like there's that shot where they first get into that first home and everyone's just kind of walking around going like, wow, wow, look at this kitchen there. And it's just like, everyone's in the frame doing a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, I love that we're just watching it play out in this single shot and yeah. yeah. single wide. Like a play. I, yeah, yeah, like a play. Yeah. Um, that was nice. And there was a lot of that in this movie. Those are the moments when they trust that the audience is smart enough to pick it up. So those moments are great. And then it's so, it's almost jarring when we go to like, I think Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty are good actors, but there are moments when it's like the old school feeling of acting where it gets kind of overdramatic. 100%. Or, you know, like, so it's so interesting to me that maybe it's like things hadn't been quite smoothed over yet. Like people hadn't quite figured out how to make these because we have those cool yes. moments. And like the moment when we see, um, C.W. Moss's dad making the deal with the cop. There's Mm -hmm. no dialogue even. It's all like just trusting that we're smart enough to Mm -hmm. pick it up Mm -hmm. based on what's going on in the background and with the music and the posters and like this is where we're at right now. But then we have like, yeah, over the top Bonnie and Clyde being like, "Ah, I'll never leave you, Bonnie. Like (laughs) it's like they haven't figured out the measuring yet of big moments versus small moments, but it's still cool to watch. Yeah, like they're still working out the kinks. Oh, and then I did not think this as a kid or as a 16-year-old watching this, but she's like, the scene where she first tries to like, or second tries to make a love with him and he tries to like make love with her but can't do it, they imply that she's like giving, like she's going down on him. What's the fancy word for this? Like giving him moral sex. Yes, I said, I was like, whoa, is this? Like I was very shocking. Yeah, that's the 60s, baby. That's the 60s and the 70s. They went, it's almost the 70s. We're going to do this. Yeah. And it's, I was like, whoa, they're really going, they're really taking this to like a sexual place where movies had not been allowed to be before. Like she's naked at the top of the film. Mm-hmm. And right. that had not happened. You know, that's not a normal thing we see in films. That's real. Like that had not been. This would have been one of the first times in like a real legitimate film we would have seen somebody be almost naked. Yeah, before this, there's nothing. I will say in the beginning of this movie, I for a second thought like we started it wrong because it just starts. And I and it took me a moment to be like, did we come into a scene late or like did HBO Max cut off a scene of this movie? And because 
I was like, do they know each other? Because it really just starts where it's like, boy, boy, what you doing? And I was like, do they? They seem very comfortable. And it's just, but you know, that is a thing. Movies at a certain point just started and they just started and they went, this movie's just going, get on board or get off. Like there's no setup. There's no, this isn't following any strict format. We're just going. I feel like it ended abruptly too. We're like, they get shot 50,000 times in this car. And then you just see the sheriff or whoever, like the people that shot them just kind of mosey up to the car and look at it and go like, well, they did. And then it's just over. But I will say that was the coolest shot and it mirrored the shot of Bonnie and Clyde in the beginning. So it's like we see that I had never noticed this before, but it's like when we see the final shot of the movie is like all of the people that killed them, including the sheriff looking in at Bonnie and Clyde. And we see them through a V that's like the bullet riddled window dashboard of the car. And then early on in the film, when uh, they're first having Coke together, uh, Warren Beatty is making like a V shape with the Coke in his arm. And we're seeing Faye Dunaway through the V. And it's like the same shot. It's like the opposite. So I was like, oh, they're meeting and like kind of falling for each other and they're dying. And it it just I don't know if it was meant to be that way because it really does just look cool. It could have been like a this looks cool thing. But I I noticed that this time because those were my two favorite shots. Because early on, I was like, oh, my God, this shot is fantastic. He's just guzzling his Coke and we're getting Faye Dunaway's reaction to all of him underneath his soda. Wow, Sarah, you're so good. I would have never noticed that in a million years. You've tuned your senses to. to That's exactly what it is. It's like the podcast makes you be like, oh, I'm hypervigilant. What is that? I need to watch movies (laughs) like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, all my notes are just like weird dream ballet. Uh, old woman funny. It's like, that's <laughs> literally all my notes. To be fair, those notes are all valid. All of them. <laughs> Thank you. I will also say one of my favorite other parts was like, we're supposed to know that Warren Beatty is sexy because he can guzzle a Coke with a matchstick in his mouth. Like, <laughs> what cool. a man. Ooh, he's different Ooh, than other men. Yeah. Men. Well, famously, all men can do one or the other. It's very rare that a man can do both at the same time. It's like doing this thing. Patting your head and rubbing your stomach, yeah. <laughs> Which I can do, as you can see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for anyone listening to the pod, I was able to do it. Yeah, I was for all the viewers. For all the viewers at home. We all can vouch. It happened. Um, I forget if I read the quote earlier about what she says to him, that your advertising is just dandy. Folks would never guess you didn't have a thing to sell. First of all, Bonnie has all the best quotes. All the quotes I wrote down were basically Bonnie quotes. And it's because she sees everything and just like tells it like it is. Hell yeah. Like she always drives things forward. Like even in the beginning when they're having that walk and they're talking and they first met and she's like, what's it like? And he's like, what, being in prison? And she's like, no, robbing people. She's the one who drives it all forward. And that line tells us exactly who he is. Like he's all show, but there's not a lot. There's no plan. He's so good at bullshitting. Even at the end, she starts to see through it when her mother sees through it. When Warren Beatty is saying all these things about like, and we're going to get out and we're going to get a house and we're going to live right next to you. And his mom's like, no, you're her mom is like, no, you're not. You're going to die. Old lady funny. I'm old. Old lady funny. (laughs) Also way too old to be her actual mother. Uh, So old. Yes. She was like 85. Because isn't Bonnie like 24? Yes. At the end. She's 21 (laughs) at the start. So you're like, how did an 85-year-old birth a 21? This mother had her when she was 62. (laughs) Just a medical miracle. But also, what does it say about film that we're like, we can't show a real in-between lady. No people in their 40s. (laughs) 
You're Hideous. old or you're young. Yeah. Well, how how old was Estelle Parsons? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't think I wrote down her age. That is a good question because to me, Estelle Parsons is always 75. I felt like Gene Hackman was in his like 40s and 50s for 50 years. Yes, yes. absolutely. And now he is an old man, but I was like, it feels like from the early 2000s or mid 2000s to 68, he was always like 40. But he might have been younger at that point too. Like, well, wanna... so Estelle Parsons was born in 1927. So what 1967 minus so 40. So I take it all back. We have a 40 year old on screen. Hallelujah. God and she bless. won an award. Thank and goodness. She, she's the only one that won. But she's the prissiest. Gene Hackman was, he was born in 1930. So he mm. was 37. 37. So they would have actually been yeah. a real life pair. You know what? Good for them. And I guess you get the sense that this woman would have had no other options. Cause you're like, why the hell would she marry Buck? Warren Beatty says this to Bonnie. He's like, you could marry a rich man if you wanted because that was your only way to rise up, to get married. That was your only way to have security. So I, mm. that makes more sense, I guess, if she's an older, like, daughter of a preacher, maybe considered a spinster. Oh, no, at this point yep. in the 30s, like, you're going to marry the first person that comes along that can give you any sort of future. So yeah, maybe and that she makes more sense. not happy about she it. Is uh, not she happy. is not happy about being there. At any point in the movie, I don't think. It's not the best performance I've ever seen, but the most impassioned performance. She's feeling so much. It's like Umbridge vibes. That's what I wrote down. I was like, Professor Umbridge vibes. I bet you Imelda Staunton like watched this for totally. reference. Totally. Um, but I was going to ask you guys, I didn't even write this down on like what I wanted to cover today, but I was dying to know like when she asks for an equal share of the money, I was conflicted. What are your guys' yes, opinion on this? I totally I was like, agree. Yes, you are a woman. I want you to get paid, but also it's true that you aren't actually doing as much. Blanche, you haven't done shit. You actually haven't You've just done complained. Shit. You've just complained and actually made it a little harder for everyone. Um, yeah, I agree though. Sarah, I was totally torn because my you're you're so right. My first reaction was like, yes, girl, get it. But then I was like, wait a minute. She actually because then like when Bonnie's like pissed, I was like. Yeah, she does have a point. Bonnie goes into the bank with the gun and CW drives. It's like literally the three of them go in and rob the bank. CW drives and it's like, Blanche, you don't do anything but complain. Yeah, she's kind of dead weight, honestly. But that's the bummer part because she does have a point though. Like if she gets caught, yes. she's going to go to jail same as 100%. them. But we don't know what she's putting in. And I was like, wait, is there emotional labor I'm not seeing? Maybe there's emotional labor. Perhaps. Maybe she cleans up question <laughs> also like maybe that's why the real blanche didn't like her because maybe the real blanche actually did more and contributed more and she wasn't portrayed that way i also thought it was bullshit the trope of like and the women aren't gonna get along <laughs> i was like oh, i know come on come i know on. yeah like the cat fight thing you're just like oh there has yeah. to be a cat fight of course yeah they can't but, just be friends yeah but i her character was at least amusing and did offer like variation and variety Enough for an Oscar win. The best cinematography Oscar was one for this film too. So it won two Oscars. Ah. Yeah. What won that year for best picture? In the heat of the night, we did a podcast episode about oh, it. You did? Yes. Yes, I did. With my brother who's white, because there were two white people being like, and racism in oh. film. 
Is it a very racist movie? I'm so it's all about it's... racism. Yeah, oh, it's, it's about, about like oh, a see. black cop that goes to the South. He get he he gets stuck there. They will not let him leave because initially they accuse him of committing a murder because he's black. But he's oh, like, Jesus. hi, I'm a homicide um, detective from Philadelphia. I was visiting my mom. Let me the fuck out of this town. And they're like, no, you're going to solve the crime now. Wow. And everyone's super racist to him. And it's Sidney Poitier and, um, and what's his name? The guy... From Rod, Rod, not Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart, not him. Like the Rod guy Sterling from Twilight no, Zone. No, he was. In, I can give you his whole filmography. It's actually killing me right now. He's in the Pawnbroker. He was in um, mm. on the Waterfront. Mm. It's driving me nuts. It doesn't matter. Anyway, it was that film, but that one. Okay, Rod Steiger. Steiger, thank you. It was Rod Steiger. Thank Rod you, thank you. Rod Steiger. I'm looking up Rod Steiger. Who is he's, he? He's like, he has a huge filmography. And then my whole issue is be, I am a huge Paul Newman fan, like the biggest oh. Paul Newman fan. Oh, and man. Cool Hand Luke came out oh. this year. So I personally think that Paul Newman should have won for Cool Hand Luke. Oh. Um, but nobody asked me. So. <laughs> well, and, and Rod Steiger won? He won, and the theory is that he won because he didn't win for the pawnbroker. Um, God, this is like, this happens all the time. I know, they give these like delayed Oscars and people end up winning for things that are so mediocre. I mean, I get it, but it's also like he wasn't really the lead in that film. Like Sidney Poitier was the lead of that film. And he had already won. Was he not nominated? I don't remember if he was nominated or not, but he'd already won his best Oscar actor, best actor Oscar. So I feel like they were like, and we already gave it to him. (laughs) You famously can't win two Oscars. (laughs) Famously, (laughs) he is a black man. We don't know that we can be not racist. So please give it to the white man next to him. Um, But that was the whole thing about like this year. Also, for me, Gene Hackman, I was getting so many like Edward Norton vibes. Like when he was talking, I could see Edward Norton in his face. It's it's a real, doing a really hot, also like Gene Hackman, I feel like has a distinctly low kind of like, well, and it's like, and the fact that he was talking like this, I was like, it feels like the wrong voice is coming out of this person, Ooh. but in a good, in a fun way. He looked like from The Godfather with like, when he's got the mattress and he's like in his white tank top shirt, I was also getting like The Godfather. Like the James Sonny Corleone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny that all these movies when you brought up the like the cool hand Luke came out this year, it's like it really just goes to show you that the Oscars mean nothing because you're like, there's all these movies that come out in a year, and we award Best Picture to Heat of the Night, and I go, I've never heard of Heat of the Night, and that's probably on me uh, because I'm uh, not that in you know I'm not that well versed in a lot of classic film, but I go, it's just amazing how so many other movies in that year. It, it can stand the test of time of like being classics and you know this and Cool Hand Luke and yeah. it's yeah it's it's crazy. Mm. I was just thinking of Cool Hand Luke and how it comes out the same year and does such a similar thing of like the comedy with the violence and then a similar kind of score to back it up. Like mm. that it's got like a twangy banjo score as well. So I'm like, is this the year of the <laughs> like violent comedic film with a twangy banjo score? Like, yeah, that was the trend. Cool Hand Luke is such a good movie though. 
And it's like, Cool Hand Luke is like also very funny, but not, it's like one of those where you're like, is this a comedy? Is this a drama? Like, what is this movie? Yeah, they all have a point, a deeper point as well. Uh-huh. When we were last visiting with Lauren's family, I we started watching oh, yeah. The Sting with her dad. Sting. And I was like, I had never seen it. And it's such a good movie. I it's, was like, I need to watch a good movie. We watched yes. the first like 30 minutes or hour of it. I watched probably the first hour with them. Yeah, it's my dad's, I think it's my dad's like all time favorite movie. Um, but it was great. And I like, I had never watched it before. I missed out on so many old movies. I want to just touch in with the fashion. So Faye Dunaway, I mean, she was uh, dressed by Theodora Van Runkle, who's like a famous costume person. I was watching it going like, oh my God, this is like a sexy look. It reminds me of Bullet. And then she did Bullet and I went, oh, validated. Oh. Yeah. Um, she did The Godfather Part Two. Uh, so she's like, it. you know. You never seen The Godfather Part Two? <laughs> no. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you're, you're so nice. You keep trying to reassure me. It's really sweet. I've never seen any of The Godfather. Really? I know. Is it I haven't so seen sorry. so many things though. I have seen none of The Lord of the Rings. I have oh seen. Oh my seen, so, God! So here we go. Sarah, we'll make a podcast that's just us making you watch Lord of the Rings. It's four okay. episodes. That's it. Uh, it's actually only three. That's it. Sorry, three. Yeah. I don't that's know. <laughs> yeah, Lauren doesn't even know how many movies No, if we are. wanted to split up. I stop at The Hobbit. I okay. don't want to watch seven hours of The Hobbit, so I'm going to stop there. I will and I have. Um, okay, continue. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, so I wanted to like, the fashion, it's so interesting to me because it's like that thing that we still do now where it's supposed to be the 1930s, but it's so clearly the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like she's got like kind of 60s cat eyes with thick eyelashes. Right? And she's right. got like that, that, what is that called? Where it's like the bump in the back of your hair, where it's like teased up that way. I also wrote down one of my dumb notes right at the beginning was uh, Faye Dunaway, deep side part. Because her hair was parted like close to her ear and swooped over. And she had that cute curl that I was like, yeah. oh, I want to do that. That's adorable. And he was like, don't do it. I hate it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Crushing all our dreams, Warren Beatty. But yeah, her style's iconic in this, and it's so simple, and it's one of those things where it's like Annie Hall-esque of like, it will be fashionable forever and ever and ever, the way they dress Bonnie. Yes. Um, And then also, like, Clyde looks great, too. Just Mm -hmm. the style in general, the cars they chose. Like, that one car they stole that was green. Oh, it was so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was super into the style of it. I was super into also um, Warren Beatty, anytime he wore his, like, white tank top. That is every time I saw him in that, I was like, oh, that's why you're famous. Yes, I remember that you're a hunky, hunky movie star. I remember now. (laughs) Um, I loved all of that. They were watching 42nd Street in the theater. Yes. Which I really liked that moment a lot. That works out timeline wise, right? As we were watching it, I was like, does this make sense of them being in the 30s? Like, when was that movie made? Because that movie came out in 1933, but they were robbing from 1931 to 34. So, like, it could have been inaccurate. Sure. Right? We don't know. It might have been. Because that was also in the very beginning. That was, like, right after they killed the first guy. You know what? This movie sucks, actually. Uh, (laughs) That was totally historically inaccurate. No, but that was my main thing was, like, wait a minute. I like couldn't let that go that whole scene. I was like, is this movie actually in theaters when they're, you know, it being in the 30s? Interesting. Because I think this is Bonnie's journey more than, I know it's Bonnie and Clyde, but I do feel like it's more her journey because it seems like we're following her arc of like, I want fame, I want a grand life. And we see her rising up. That's her moment of like, we're in the money. I'm in this movie theater. I'm watching them do this insane choreography. That's going to be my life. And she has, she buys that necklace that's got all the coins on it and singing, we're in the money. Uh So it's like her rise of like, oh, I want fame. I want glory. 
Faye Dunaway said it in the quote earlier better than I ever will of like <laughs> she realizes that on this journey there's not really anything out there and that it's going to end in death oh that's a sad that's a sad character arc it's very it sad. is sad yeah and it's way more yeah. interesting yeah than than Clyde's Clyde doesn't really have much of an arc honestly he's like my penis is soft oh no it is not soft anymore i win and now i die <laughs> that like, is literally his arc he's like i can't have sex i can't have sex i can have sex man we should have done this differently and then they die man man you know we should have lived in different states actually and then <laughs> stunning oh, my, arc. my glasses are broken i'm dead that is so funny. Yum, this pear's delicious. Man, this is good. Okay, side note, that pear looked so good. I kept going to Joy. I kept being like, God, that pear looks It great. was a sensual pear. All the food in the movie. Food looks so good. Like, whenever they went out for groceries, I was like, ooh, they're getting groceries. And like, when they were eating those sandwiches, I was like, God, those sandwiches look great. When they were stealing from the store and they were like, those cookies on the shelf that kind of yeah. tipped over, I was like, yeah. oh, yes, those the cookies. cookies. The cookies. And when they went out and ordered and they're like, there's a fried chicken place. So get it like six tenders and I was like yum no they said they didn't say tenders they said chicken dinners I don't think they had tenders back then I think they had ordered chicken tenders no they didn't well maybe that's what I wanted to hear you wanted (laughs) get like 10 chicken dinners I thought he said get like 10 chicken tenders and I went yum but yeah I'm with you 100% on the food yeah and it's such a like tactile human thing too maybe that's why they were focusing on food because like in rich movies of the 30s they don't even eat you know they're always in these big grand sets and Uh so we have like characters that are real people that are eating food just like us so nice so relatable bucket of gruel (laughs) bucket of gruel (laughs) even the gruel sounded good they put all that gruel in like a paint bucket and then gave it to him and I was like yum I was thinking it was chili, and I was like, ooh, they, they're cooking oh, good. But was no, it? it was probably gruel. I oh. don't know. I made it up in my head. I was like, warm food, chili. I'm not even 100% sure what gruel is. It just <laughs> looks like gruel to me. I went, this is gruel. It, to me, it's like gruel is like all of her food. It's like water and like oats. It's like paste. It's just like oatmeal, like yeah. paste. Like eat yeah. this Yeah, paste. I'm looking at gruel. Sounds great to me. Oh, also, this was directed by Arthur Penn. And he was not the first choice for this. Warren Beatty went to like a ton of very famous directors and they were all like, no. Oh. <laughs> and then he went to Arthur Penn and they have like a really good working relationship and work together again. And um, nice. Arthur Penn, he called Warren Beatty the perfect producer. Wow. He's like, he's there for every step. He's completely part of the process. Like, which is funny because that could be considered controlling. And he's difficult. Is he a perfect producer because he has opinions? That would be funny. Because he like shows up and cares about the work and has opinions. Got it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so uh, Arthur Penn also directed The Left-Handed Gun with Paul Newman. Um, The Miracle Worker, which is what kind of got him more famous. Um, The Chase he did right before this with Marlon Brando, and it had kind of a similar Bonnie and Clyde vibe. And then he ends up doing Alice's Restaurant which is like the famous Arlo Guthrie song put to film. It's like a famous Don't Go to Vietnam movie. And then he directs a little big man as well. The Dustin Hoffman um, Native American picture. Oh, which okay. Also plays Jeez. with tone. So those are kind of the things he's famous for. Okay, so Warren Beatty, born in 1937, still alive today. I can't believe he's married to Annette Benning. I know. There's, right? there's I love Annette Benning so much. That's great. They're like dream couple goals. They're wonderful together. And I don't know what you know about Warren Beatty. If you had said, hey, Sarah, what do you know about Warren Beatty before looking into him? I would have been like, he slept with everybody. He slept with all of Hollywood. That was like his reputation. Um, and oh, it's true. I didn't there's know that. There's a list 
of famous women. Like, he was mm-hmm. linked with at least 100 celebrities, <gasps> at least. What? It's a yeah. list of, Cher said he slept with everyone she knew. Oh my God. Um, yeah, so, he, but so that's why with Annette Benning, they say she quote unquote tamed the whale. Like, wow. that was the, oh, he's famous for being an actor, director, producer, and screenwriter. Uh, you all might know him from Splinter in the Grass, the Roman Spring of Mrs. Stone, where he plays like a hot young man sleeping with a much older woman who's played by Vivian Lee. Um, he's famous for Shampoo, Heaven Can Wait. I like that movie a lot, Heaven Can Wait. He won the directing Oscar for Reds. Our generation knows him as Dick Tracy, obviously, because right. we all watch Dick Tracy. Uh. Um, he did have a relationship with Madonna and was in her Truth or Dare <laughs> documentary. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Um, he was in Bullworth, Bugsy, and very famously in Ishtar, the failed film dubbed the worst film of all time, written by Elaine May, who we talked about a couple weeks ago. His big thing was just like, he had so much confidence in himself. I forget who said it, but they were like, that's the key of Warren Beatty. It's just like... He knows he can do it and he does it. And I just am so envious of that. I wish I had I wish I had the confidence of a twenty nine year old, very attractive man. White yeah, a white, white man. man. He is twenty one years older than Annette Benning. Yeah. I wrote um the list of all the women who dated Warren Beatty is bananas. That was my quote. <laughs> that is it's so insane. Funny. But yeah, he was he was known for sleeping with everybody. There's I read a book recently. Who was it? Someone, there was a famous actress that was like, I almost slept with Warren Beatty. He took me to a party and then there was someone more attractive there and he ditched me for the more attractive person. It's a famous like star, someone that we're like, oh my God. But I did read an article about Warren Beatty not that long ago. It was like an article like, where's Warren Beatty now? He's been out of the spotlight. And I guess what he does is he like decorates his home. He's like a total stay at home dad. Great. he retired to raise his kids, and Annette oh. Benning's the one that has the career. Yes. And he, like, cooks, and he, like, decorates their house. As he damn well should. That's really nice. So I loved all of that. And then Faye Dunaway, 1941. So I think she would have been maybe 26 when she made this, or 25. I don't know when they actually made it versus when it came out. But this was her first big film. She had done two films before this, and um, one of them was with Otto Preminger, the famous director who... He made um, Carmen Jones, and we talked about him on the podcast on that episode. Um, But he was difficult to work with, too. And she hated working with him so much that she was in a contract to do five movies with him or with his studio. It was either him or his studio, and she got out of it. She had to work really hard to get out of it because she was like, working with him was one of the worst experiences of my life. I never want to do it again. But then because she had the guts to do that, she gets Bonnie and Clyde. Um, wow. which she said she got by the skin of her teeth. It was like a last minute, put her in the game decision. Um, Whoa. Queen. Yeah. And some of her famous movies are Network. Uh, that's probably, I think, her most famous, biggest sure. film. She Ooh. won the Best Actress Oscar for it. Yeah. Chinatown, too. Chinatown. And The Thomas Crown Affair, which came after this, which she wow. got because the director of that, he saw um, the dailies of this. This film wasn't even out yet. And Arthur Penn advocated for her. And was like, no, you gotta see, you gotta see her. And so she gets cast in the Thomas Crown Affair, which is incredibly sexist, actually. Um, so I don't love watching it, but there's mm. that. Um, she's got a small part in Little Big Man. She's in The Towering Inferno. Um, she's very famously in Mommy Dearest, where she plays Joan Crawford, being abusive. Oh yeah. Great in it. Uh-huh. Um, and she's in After the Fall as well. Um, so her like story, her dad is in the army. They moved around a lot. She was raised all over the place. She eventually gets her degree in theater from Boston University. Because of connections she made there, she gets connected with Elia Kazan to be part of like his, like a young actor in his theater troupe that he had going on, and that elevates her. 
like she did a ton of theater. I love that about actors when they come up through the theater and like have training and all of that. I love it. Right. Love it. She does all that. I wrote, she had a reputation for quote unquote temperament. They said <laughs> she was demanding because of her attention to detail. Wow. She dated Lenny Bruce in 1962. I thought that wow. was very fascinating. Cool. Yeah. Okay, interesting. She loved this movie, and she loved being known for this movie. She had a slump in her career before the 70s. Um, the 70s elevated her again, and I feel like that's kind of like the height of her career, what she does in the 70s. The film was unprecedented at the time because of the level of graphic violence and the glorification of murders. Somehow that was written with her Bonnie and Clyde stuff. I don't know why. And then Michael J. Pollard plays C.W. Moss and some stuff he's been in is Scrooged and Tango and Cash and Roxanne. So he does some character actor work. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Velma, who's the one woman that's in the Gene Wilder scenes. Mm -hmm. Her name is Evans Evans. And she was like, she was in the Iceman Cometh. Her name is Evans Evans? Her name is Evans Evans. I had never <laughs> heard of her. Evans Evans. I love it. So there's her. Yeah. And then Ivan Moss, the guy that plays Ivan Moss, his name is Dub Taylor. And he goes on to be in like The Getaway, which is like the next kind of version of Bonnie and Clyde. And I just thought that was really interesting. Interesting. Also, Gene Hackman was in The Birdcage. And Gene Hackman is a super famous actor who was in a lot of movies that you all know. And we're probably going to cover him on the podcast one day. So I'm not worried about not talking about him here. Right. So anyway, those are kind of all the people. And I mentioned earlier, Michael J. Pollard got put in this just because he was like buddies with Warren Beatty. Uh -huh. And then Warren Beatty had worked with Gene Hackman on this film called Lilith and was like, he's great. So he's going to be in the movie. Cast him. Are there any like quotes or moments that you're like, oh, I need to, I need to shine light on this and share this? I think just I'm an old woman and I don't know nothing. That is truly the takeaway quote for me, for me from this movie. I related to it. You know what I mean? That's how I feel yeah. a lot. <laughs> Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing all that info though, Sarah, that, that was really interesting and actually like does truly make me have a newfound appreciation It enriches for the it. experience of, uh, experiencing yeah, totally. and watching And I don't know if this helps, but when I was watching it, I was like not in the mood for it. You know what I mean? As I was watching it, I was like, oh, yes. I don't, I'm not into this right now. So learning all these things actually, and talking with you guys about them, like sparked my enthusiasm. So we, we've Yay. just lifted each other up, everybody. Um, wow. Putting a modern 2021 lens on things. I should just say modern lens because that way people can listen to this beyond 2021. Um, but I mean, <laughs> as in all classic films, there is not a good representation of people of color. No. Um, there oh, no. Are almost Absolutely no people not. of color. There is that one scene, like I mentioned, where they give one person of color one line and say that he owns a farm oh, yeah. with a white man. So I was like, yay, yeah. integration, but sad. No other parts. Yeah, that was... So there's that. Yeah. And, like, just, you know, the old-fashioned role of women. Yeah. And... For sure. Um, and then, I mean, things that didn't hold up in terms of, like, acting and storytelling was just not... Things not being smooth. Not, ha like, not having a distinction between old-fashioned and modern styles. Yeah. Little, yes, little jumpy. Totally. Yeah. And okay. women pitted against each other, I also wrote down. It's like, ugh. Yeah. And Blanche being a screaming horse's ass. And Blanche being ass. a screaming <laughs> horse's ass. Um, <laughs> here, we're going to head into the double feature portion of this podcast. Which is uh, when I go, hey, if you like this, check out this other thing. And it's so interesting that you said The Sting, Lauren. Because if I was to actually pair this with something I would want to watch, it would be either Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or The Sting. Both Paul Newman, Robert Redford films. Because they're both, they're like the Bonnie and Clyde of bromance, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I would watch one of those. But there's the Steve McQueen movie called The Getaway that is so sexist it physically hurts me. Like, I, it hurts me to watch it. Um, but I bet you that would be, like, 
a very accurate Bonnie and Clyde comparison because it's about a couple that are having issues that are run, they're running away together after a bank heist goes awry. But it, she, the woman in it is so, it's Ally McGraw and Steve McQueen and they fall in love in real life while filming it. But they make her character wow. so dumb. They make her like Estelle Parsons of like she does nothing right and he's always having to fix things and save her. And it just, it just hurts. Oh boy. Um, so, yeah. I mean, watch that maybe if that's what you're into. It would be a good pairing. Um, and then, like, I weirdly think Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the new one, would be a good pairing with this. You know, oh, yeah. with Brad, Brad and Angelina. Angelina. Also fall in love on set. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Faye Dunaway uh-huh. and Warren Beatty ever had a thing or not, but. You know, the romance of it. I feel like they also brought... Oh, I forgot to say this in the earlier part, and that's fine. Um, they brought, like, romance to the genre. It's like, this isn't always... The gangster yeah. genre isn't always a romantic genre. But this, it, like... Mm-hmm. It holds on to their, their romance and, like, the tension of their relationship. Um, and then I would say, in general, the 1967 classics would be a fun double feature. So, like, watching this with Cool Hand Luke in the heat of the night... Maybe yeah. graduate. I don't know. You know, I was going to, the whole movie I was thinking about the whole time is if anyone's seen uh, Queen and Slim, it's a movie from 2019 with Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner Smith that Lena Waithe wrote. It takes the idea of like two people on the run uh, from the law uh, that kind of become infamous and kind of uh, puts it in the context of of being black in America right now and getting a, having a situation, I don't want to give anything away, like having a situation go totally awry that is like totally spun in a different way and them going on the run for for it. And it's excellent. And it's an excellent movie. And specifically a lot of the like take photos, like taking a photo and having that kind of persona similar to the Bonnie and Clyde thing and like sending it out to the media is, is a, uh, it was very reminiscent of this movie, um, but is also just an incredibly good movie. So I would I would suggest that too, and as a little additional thing. So forget the getaway. Actually, just watch that. I haven't seen it, but I remember it got really good reviews. It's very good, um, and I've like meant to see it. So yes, I would definitely put that on the list. And then I haven't seen the Highwaymen. That movie that came out with Kevin Costner a couple years ago that's supposed to be about the guys that catch Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if that's good or not, but, like, that's interesting that they made a movie about that man who's ridiculed in this movie. Yeah. So I don't know. And Woody Harrelson's in it, and I feel like he's usually good in things. It's a Netflix movie, right? Yeah. Tell your parents to watch Highwaymen, and you go out and watch Queen and Slim. Highwaymen seems like a movie (laughs) my parents would love. Yes, that's definitely, definitely a parents' film. I agree with that. Um, we, there was one thing I just realized you brought up that I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Their relationship with the media and the press and like them thinking about that as they're going and doing things mm-hmm. so that it, like, yeah. for how it will appear in the press and when the press turns on them about right. like, Clyde left his brother for dead and he's like, no, I didn't. He was already dead. Like, yeah. yeah. Yes. So it sounds like we were all like, okay, you know, this movie, we appreciate it more upon further review. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 You guys are excellent guests. Thank you so much for coming on my show. <laughs> thank you. you. And thank, thank you for you. suggesting this movie. And we'd be back anytime to watch more movies. Well, everybody, <laughs> we'll see you on the airwaves because I keep saying we'll see you next time on Talk Classic to me. And I'm like, no one can see us. But I have no better way of getting us out of here. <laughs> so we'll see you next time on Talk we'll Classic to me. We'll see you next time. Yay. You have been listening to Talk Classic to me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guests this week were Lauren Lopez and Joey Richter. 
They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find our page on anchor.fm and become a sustaining member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me for awesome content and to find out which films are coming up next. Thanks for listening. Bye.